Bigfoot Society would like to thank the following sponsors for helping make the podcast possible. The Singular Fortean Society has combined open and honest paranormal investigation and journalism since 2016. Visit the Society at Singular Fortean for all the latest weird news and more. Come with us and investigate the impossible. Lauren Smith is the hostess for Nightcaller's Bigfoot Radio, which has been on air for over a decade and has completed over 300 shows. Lauren brings with her a unique viewpoint given that she is not only the daughter of one of the veteran female Bigfoot researchers in the South, but she has been conducting field research since she was a preteen some 20 years ago. Nightcallers is a Bigfoot world favorite and along with interviewing researchers and witnesses often features interviews with guests from the documentary film and entertainment industry. Lauren also does a vidcast segment called Nightcallers which features real encounters sent in by viewers. You can find all of this and more at nightcallersproductions.com. Thanks for coming back to another episode of the Bigfoot Society podcast. Today, I have the privilege of talking to Robert Leiterman from the Bluff Creek Project. Uh, This is a fantastic interview, as in I really enjoyed talking to Robert uh, all about his his history uh, to do with Bigfoot over the years, uh, his years as a park ranger, uh, the start of the Bluff Creek Project, and just some amazing stories that I think you're really going to enjoy and some solid, solid advice for those just getting into Bigfooting. Uh, Probably some of the best that we've ever gotten on the podcast. So definitely sit back, uh, relax, uh, get something to drink, to get a snack, but uh, enjoy this uh, episode with Robert Leiterman from the Bluff Creek Project. All right. Well, welcome back to the Bigfoot Society podcast live. Uh, Thanks for hanging out this Friday night or afternoon or maybe even Saturday morning. It's it's possible we could have people over in Europe if you're if you're there from if you're here from over there. Well, thanks for hanging out. Uh, Looks like we already have some people hanging out with uh, with me so far. Uh, We've got Mr. Tate Hieronymus. He says, yo, and we've got. Uh, Jonathan Easley from Western Bigfoot Exploration. Hey, uh, people in the chat, um, if you could let me know uh, if we are sounding good, uh, just put a little uh, type something in there. It says, hey, you uh, you sound good. Uh, and if you want, you look good, too. But we're more concerned about the uh, how we sound. And uh, I'll be waiting a f- about a half a minute to hear before I bring Robert on. Um, a little bit of housekeeping. Tate says, sounds good. Thank you, sir. Uh, a little bit of housekeeping. And again, this is for the podcast that's being recorded uh, and for people that are live. But I uh, just wanted to state real quick, I have started up uh, the Bigfoot Society uh, Patreon again. Uh, patreon.com forward slash the Bigfoot Society. So if you sign up for that, support the uh, podcast for $7 uh, a month and you get extra um, extra episodes, you get a cool membership card and a uh, fancy dancy sticker there. But enough of that for now. I'm excited to have a uh, special guest with me tonight. Uh, Mr. Robert Leiterman, and I'm going to go ahead and bring him on right now, and we will get on into it. So let's 
go ahead and do that. Robert, how's it going? Oh, it's going pretty good. Perfect. Perfect. Uh, excited to have you on. Uh, you have a really cool uh, history with uh, Bigfoot and searching for Bigfoot. But to give our uh, listeners a little bit about yourself, uh, you have all sorts of things that you've done so far. You've been a, a park ranger um, and you're in the Northern California area. Uh, you've been involved with different Bigfoot television events and movies and i would say uh importantly you are a member of the bluff creek project which is really cool is there anything that you would like to add on to that as well that would give the listeners context about uh yourself no it looks like you nailed it thanks for interviewing me i appreciate it awesome awesome um <laughs> let's uh let's shout out a few people in the chat you can see the chat as well too robert i imagine uh we got greg morrow from all dot the dot weird here he's saying woo and uh, Tate, our friend, is saying, I told Jeremiah everything. He did give me a few talking points, but I did do my research as well. So thank you, Tate, for that. A uh, few things I want to also make sure this is a, a live show uh, on YouTube. If you have any questions for Robert as we go along, uh, please make sure that you uh, put them in the chat. Um, use the word question before so I can see them easily. And I will uh, put those in as we go along. But again, welcome Robert Leiterman from the Bluff Creek uh, Project. So let's let's start into it, Robert. Um, let's start from from the beginning. What is it that got you into this whole Bigfoot stuff to begin with? Where does your story start there? Well, like like a many other people's stories, you know, it's like a legend of bogey creek you know going mm. to the movie theater the drive-in with the family because my dad was into that kind of thing and uh, getting scared to death and then having to go pee <laughs> and have to walk up to the pee booth you know way past the you know the projection booth and stuff and that was a pretty scary event right there oh but man that's probably the first start of it uh, for me i was i i didn't even know about the patterson film up till that point you know it's just okay legend of bogey creek was a scary thing and then later on there was this movie they find out about later, but it wasn't the the film wasn't the first thing. It was just the uh, the movie Legend of Bogey Creek got me started, I guess. That's awesome. So, uh, it, uh, so I've read a few. You've written a few articles over the years um, that were uh, through the the BFRO. Yeah. And there's one thing that you brought up. Uh, actually, you brought up multiple things, but one thing I, I thought was very interesting, and it's always fun when I talk to people that are around that were born around this certain time. So you were around like six to seven years old during the filming of the Patterson Gimlin film. Correct. Correct. Yeah. About yeah. That. So, um, what a time to be a, uh, a, a young kid, a junior higher when it's like the whole nation is like having this legend of boggy Creek film, uh, go around and you're able to watch that. And, uh, do, do you remember anything else about uh, Bigfoot uh, coming into your life or you remember seeing uh, things like that at that time when you were a little kid or was Boggy Creek the, the main thing that you remember? No, Boggy Creek was just pretty much thing. It wasn't until, well, elementary school reading, you know, those books you could read about and you look up the stuff and John Green had a bunch of stuff out. And I remember, oh, yeah having some stuff on John Green and reading the pages, you know, looking at the pictures and, and that was, that was the start of it. But my first big and 
involvement probably wasn't until college when I started, I got to do some reading and then I decided I'm tired of reading about the required reading subject matters. And I started looking at the Bigfoot stuff. And I remember like Humboldt state uh, is where oh, I went yeah. to the school and they had a nice library section. So I spent a lot of my time there that I shouldn't have spent there because I should have been studying for my tests. <laughs> but it, it was kind of cool to go to the archive room, you know, third floor and go in there and look at all these stuff, you know, and, and go, wow, this is pretty cool. But it, it wasn't until later, later, you know, I was working for parks that I was putting together a presentation on it that I did a bunch more homework on it. And that's when I started actually stepping the bit more and thinking that and right. know more stuff about it. So I started collecting all this data on, on index cards. I got to make sure I do the The camera's totally opposite. when I go like this. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're doing yeah. good. You're doing good. Don't don't have me back anything up because you know it's very difficult. <laughs> so I'm seated, so we're safe so far. There we go. Wait, wait. Anyhow, so so I, I got those index cards. I wrote a bunch of information on it, a lot of research, and then I put together a presentation that I gave to the public on Bigfoot, okay. which is kind of interesting because I can talk about it if I don't say it's true. If I just so like it's a myth and mysticisms and legends, mm. then it's okay. But if you start acting like there might be something out there, then the department wasn't okay with that. So it was oh, interesting. Like, yeah. Okay. So my presentation started out with tabloid magazines. And really? Up with all the tabloids. Oh no way! Got a lot of good laughs. That you know, you got to grease grease the audience, make sure everything's good. Yep. Bunch of tabloid stories, and then you break into the actual stories with my slide presentations of all the stuff that I was working on, and I did that for quite a while, and. Um, a point where at one time I was going through all this process and I, I you know when we give our, an interpretive program to the public we have our supervisors come take a look at it and make sure it's appropriate attire and stuff okay and they, they, they checked it that the people were enjoying it but I cheek I didn't do it like it was all factual information and I left it up to them to decide whether or not but I was providing the stuff for them I like that which that went by pretty well and I guess it got to a point where um one of my other supervisors at another park uh, um, got a hold of this article I wrote. You probably saw it. It's it's called the uh, yeah uh, great uh, uh, grassland. Uh, can't think of the, the name of it now, but it was a sighting at Humboldt Redwood State Park in, okay. in 1999. And okay. I wrote, I investigated it because I was curious. So I went up with another park gate. She took photographs. I investigated it. And then I wrote an article about it, not for them, but just to the BFRO because, well, the BFRO crew had showed up there and uh, uh, they had a speaker on, on pickup trucks and they wanted to know where's the place nice. to go. Yeah. And I said, oh, yeah, you can go not here because it's, uh, you know, Marble Murlet's a threatened animal, bird, and the area is closed to make noise during a certain time period. And this was... Labor Day weekend, one of the three busiest times of the year, and they wanted to blast alleged Bigfoot calls into the uh, into the park. Oh wow! When the tons of people in the park, yeah, because it's, it's Labor it's one, Day. It's one of the three busiest times of yep. year. So let's crank those speakers up and blast it out there. Let's and see do it. Get back. So I told them no, and they were pretty professional <laughs> about it. Yep. And uh, and uh, anyhow, so that worked out okay. And then I saw in the BFRL there's like this article about the follow-up report they did because in August of 20, August of 1999, 
there was this incident where a visitor was walking on the roof and his son's shoe came untied. So he stopped to have his son tie his shoe. And while he was doing that, he saw a, a, a naked human-like individual waist up walking back and forth on the trail and then oh, stop wow. at a tree and scratch his back on this tree. Really? And they told him, you know, let's get out of here. So when they came back to go look again, there was nothing there. Talked to the park people. They said, there are any bears? No, no bears don't come over here. So anyhow, okay. so that was the incident in August of 1999. So in September, the BFR came over to investigate it. And uh, uh, very respectful, they came into the office and talked to me in particular and asked, hey, uh, we have this thing, you know, I had a report. No one, no, we can go blast this. I go, no, you can't do that. So <laughs> I directed them outside the park somewhere else to go. Mm. Somebody else's responsibility somewhere else. Right. And uh, he was professional about it. And I don't know if they broadcast the sound or anything, but very, it was okay. Anyhow, so the article came later about their follow-up investigation that I saw through the BFRO. And then I wrote this report of a follow-up because in September 23rd, third-ish i went back up there to investigate it okay so got at the bottom of the hill where the uh on the trail where the rp was there and I look up the hill and there was this photograph that showed this area we had to match that location right which wasn't that hard to do and so you stood at the bottom of the hill and you look up and you say oh this looks like the place so i had another employee go with me and we investigated together she was a tracker okay and uh we went up there and uh, she took pictures of me standing there in my uniform with my Stetson on, which this is a Stetson, but this pretend there's a Stetson there. It's and, from the eighties, right? Like that picture. Um, no, that was a uh, 1999. Okay. I did find a, a park ranger photo of you from the eighties. I think it's pretty awesome mm. in my uh, crazy research, but continue. Oh, well, Sorry. There's a, that's okay. There's a few of those and I, when it was, but <laughs> I was wearing my Stetson, which is important. Nice. I thought, because we've got to wear Stetson that you can't be taken, you know, you got to be in uniform when you get photographed and then wearing a Stetson. Gotcha. Part of the MO. So anyhow, I guess I had my Stetson on, but there's four pictures we took and my supervisor heard about it. Okay. What happened was, is that somebody in California, farther north of where we're at, mm. saw the picture, read the article, that they was how dare the state of California pay for a oh, state no. employee to go look for Bigfoot. Ugh. So they complained to a supervisor, not mine, somebody else's. And I got to point to the north, but really it's the other way right. to the north. And my supervisor was contacted and then I was called. And um, the article was magically appeared on his desk. And then wow. we talked about it. And basically, in the article, I said nothing about opinions. I just stated facts. And basically, I said that they, they kind of got their facts wrong a little bit because the location they said wasn't and that there's a couple things I found there which indicated they were there. Anyhow, so I, I wrote that up just to correct a few things. And um, I didn't get in trouble, but I got a cease and desist order from my supervisor saying I can't. No way. You stay time to look up any information on the subject matter of Bigfoot. Oh, man. And remember before I mentioned I was actually given presentations on it? Yeah. So you, you update your material so you have accurate information. And I had research material. So I was researching for years prior to this cease and, cease and desist order. 
that I had from my, my, my supervisor. Anyhow, so there was nothing that I said that was wrong or mm-hmm. implementing the state in any way. Um, so ironically, nine months later, by the way, I, I still did research and I still do what I needed to do, but yeah, nine exactly. months later, um, um, Real Scary Stories is doing a follow-up and years back in 1990, almost 2000, okay. Okay. they would go out to the field with these kids and they would scare them, I guess. So they contacted the parks department and my name came up. So now I was allowed to talk about it. Oh, perfect. <laughs> Publicly. Yeah. Nice. Be interviewed, but they had, they come up with a list of questions that I could, I could only answer. Oh. And so the uh, movie, they got with people from my department and they come up with a list of questions that I could answer. Well, when it came down to the, the day, which is, it, I had to drive in a state vehicle in a state uniform all the way towards uh, Crescent city. Okay. And I stopped at one of the park units up there. And when it was my turn to do the interview, the sun was setting. I would had my Stetson. I was sitting in my car. Nice. The golden colors of the setting sun were reflecting off the white of the car. It was the beautiful scene. And they started asking me questions, but not a single one of those questions was on the list that I was allowed to answer. Oh, no. So what do you so do? Say, like, <laughs> You say, I, I, I'm sorry, I can't answer that. I'm sorry, oh, I can't answer wow. That. Yeah. And then I ask, I go, oh. did they give you a list? Well, no, we don't have a list. I can't answer any of those questions except the one on the list. We'd like to excuse oh. and thank you, Mr. Leiderman. Get the hell out of here. So wow. I was done. But I got to watch the interview of another gentleman who had a cast with the glistening sun setting behind him. And there was a hair fiber on it. And it was really cool. And he's talking about it. And that made the show. But no, my only chance, Man. my five minutes of fame never happened. So oh. I was okay. I, I got to drive up on state time and watch the sunset near Crescent City. That was good. Which that's, that's that's cool. That was the start of that. But I still continue to do interpretive programs, educating the public. But flashing back to that so-called uh, incident mm. at the park. Well, when I, when I wrote my information of how it really was up there on the hillside to the BFRO, to Matt Moneymaker, um, he got it. And within a few days, I got this uh, phone call from him. And he goes, hey, how would you like to be a curator for the BFRO? Like the what? What does the curator do? And I go, okay, I guess I'll do it. So I got to be a curator from the Bigfoot Field Research Organization. Oh, that's and cool. that got me started meeting people that were involved with that and uh, investigating reports. And the interesting thing about the investigating reports is I, I would try to take the ones in Northern California, but sure. Bobo was also up here too, and I want to take his reports. So uh, he was collecting reports he was from bfro he was calling contacting rps and taking information i was squaring away you want this one you want me to grab the other one and so i did a few too but i like to do the ones in the state parks because makes sense yeah because i kind of know some of the players know it yeah yeah so i remember doing a couple that they were well received and i got one in particular near matana de oral that uh, basically said that the guy it was a family was somewhere else that they saw Bigfoot and, you know, there's no history of Bigfoot there. There's bears. So it could have been a bear. So instead of me saying, no, you, you people don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. I just relayed the investigation material, the interview stuff, what they said. And then I pull up the history of any sightings there or anything nearby, which. Right. And then I just basically said, you know, who knows? It could have been a bear. Well, 
people who are on the BFRO site doing investigative stuff saw that and they go, well, that ranger know what he's talking about. You know, I was on the trail with my dog, you know, and there's, there's, well, we have to have dogs in the trails, but anyhow. So um, they pulled the report and they go was a class B and, the, and they made it a class C. And I got to thinking if, if it's that much of a trouble to do all that work and to follow up investigations and if somebody complains and they pull the reports, then what's the point of doing all the investigation on it? So, wow. So, well, soon after that, I kind of got out of the BFRO investigative mode to uh, uh, expeditions, which is pretty cool. Okay. So, yeah, so I got to help with the BFRO expeditions, and that was my that was my fun time where I got to help do tracking, uh, tell stories, go out and investigate the reports, initiate contact if there's any to be had, and it was fun. And I got to meet a lot of the players, and a lot of those people I met on the expeditions ended up becoming BFRO, you know, part of the team. And they also grew on to other things. So they're pretty busy guys now. So it was great for making these contacts. So you're, you're meeting these guys and uh, gals uh, when they're, they're new in the game. Are there um, any, uh, any names you remember meeting when they were just getting into Bigfooting or, or anything like that? Or yeah, you're talking to a guy whose memory isn't very good, who doesn't know. No sweat. No sweat. You got to write it down. Um, yep. um, let's see. Uh, Kathy uh, Strain. Oh, yeah, sure. Was involved with that. Uh, Bob Strain was also involved. With awesome. Uh, um, Cliff Rackman was leading some of the earlier expeditions. Uh, I assisted cool. him on the one, I didn't want to say 2005. That's when I first met uh, Cliff. Uh, Bob was on the earlier ones, like in a 2000. And, I want to say 2000, did a Shelby Car Club one where uh, Matt Manywakers was setting up this, this special expedition. We were in the Redwoods areas up north, and uh, we were guiding these guys from the Shelby Car Club, and it was kind of fun. Bobo was there. Bill from Yakima was there. Uh, uh, of course, uh, um, Matt was there. And I'm trying to think of any other names that would float up. But it was fun. We had some strange stuff happen in that expedition. Is basically, oh, really? Yeah, we had... Um, um, Samurai talk, screams coming from the sides of the trail. We found footage. Uh, towards the very last day, we had, um, we basically were cooking. I was with both to back on the hillside, cooking bacon and then eating the bacon and then cooking more bacon, eating bacon, and then Mel had some bacon. <laughs> and by about 10 ish, you started getting tired of eating bacon. But at the nighttime, when the wind blows, it all goes downhill. Oh, so, yeah. We're sitting there back to back on the side of this hill overlooking a trail section in a swamp. And we're kind of half dozing off because it's been a long expedition. This is day, last day, it's Sunday. We met okay. these guys on Thursday. We've been running all over the place, checking out footprints and all sorts of good stuff. And then we hear, for the first time I've heard this, and I'm not really good at imitating it, but suddenly when it goes, the samurai chatter. So you're saying like Sierra sound stuff. You heard it. Yeah, and it's like, wow. what the heck is that? Well, just to back up a little bit, um, on one of the BFR expeditions, uh, um, we, well, the first BFR expedition, I helped organize that. And I want to say 2003 or four. Oh, really? That's so cool. Yeah, it might have been four or three. I can't remember. Anyhow, um, we, 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 got, we, we got the man who recorded the sound. And uh, I, I was selling his CDs was talking about it and people were like pretty excited about it. 
And while I was listening to it, I was just like, I can make those noises. I'm just like, I can do that stuff. Well, now let's fast forward nine months. Now I'm on the side of a hill and it's dark and I'm with Bo back. We're half asleep, but we're still awake sitting there. Right. And I hear, and I'm thinking, Bobo, what is that? And yeah. You kind of expect Bobo to go, oh, that, that I'm right talk. You know, that's just when the creatures are talking to each other. But he ends up being, I don't know what that is. Wow. Because that was unnerving to say the least. Yeah, totally. And and uh, if I were to say, what were they saying? I'd say, can we go up there right now? No. That's my interpretation of what it is. Yeah, nice. Nice. Well, you go back a few hours and we were cooking bacon and it smelled great and it's blowing and it's drifting set smells are drifting downhill. So we were very quiet at that point. And, and, and it came from the same area where earlier in that ex same expedition, we've had uh, when Bobo was taking the, 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 his clients out, they heard that similar on both sides of the trail. We mm. found foot impressions near that area. Oh, really? So circumstantial evidence for that one spot. Fast forward a few more years, and I'm with, um, hit it when the names kind of drift away. That's all right. Well, I'm with Barcatino. We're on the side oh, of the sure, yep. same location, and we got out there before the sun went down, so we get established, and we're waiting till the sun goes down, and we're trying to beat before the moon comes up, because once the moon comes up, sometimes everything just gets quiet and shuts down. Okay. So we're, we're sitting there, and we, we start our, our instigation techniques. We do some knocks, some calls. And it's, it was like an interesting thing because nothing happens. And all of a sudden, now we decide to do these calls again. So uh, Bart does some calls. I want to say about seven minutes go by. And then we hear something, a return. Oh. And I can't remember if it was a return or if it was a call and return. So then after three three minutes, we do it again. You know, I, I'm sorry. We waited seven minutes. Okay. Do it again. And then within three minutes of us doing the other estigated technique, a tree falls down. Oh, and wow. it's just up the hill from us. <laughs> wow. And so you could say, well, those are all circumstantial evidence, but or we're saying at a point now one it has place has a history. Mm-hmm. We did something, and within a certain amount of time, something responded. We waited our seven minutes. We did something else within three minutes. We got a second instigation and it was a tree pushing down. Like get the heck out of here. Wow. So, that's wild. So after that, you would think most people would leave, right? Well, mm-hmm. we did and we hung around and we did. We kept going and waiting to yep. see what happens next, next and nothing else happened. Okay. So what we should have done was leave, make a big deal of leaving, leave the digital recorders going. Right. And come back later, see if you heard anything around our stuff. And that would have been a cool way to do it, but we didn't do that. Hindsight is twenty twenty, right? You know. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, you're, yeah. You're learning every time you go out and you do something. You're learning what works and what doesn't work, and then you come up with these crazy ideas. Then you get to implement them to see if they work out for you as well. So, with that said, that was kind of fun. But prior to that, one month prior to that, that's the reason we were there, because Bart and Bobo were up there in that same area, and they were were basically chased out. Oh, by by big whatever by whatever by something really. They left a recorder going oh, in the man. spot that where they initially heard it, 
And when they came back to retrieve the recorder. They can on the recorder you can hear something was walking around on the tarp that they left there. Oh wow! So and a month later, uh, Bart and I'm back up for some more funny games, and then we had this experience happen. So going back to the samurai talk that I originally heard earlier in, I guess I want to say 2003, I think it's about 2003. Um, I, I used to think it was pretty funny and laughed at it. And then something happens to you where you go, huh? And you think about it. Well, was it a barred owl? Barred owl imitate monkey sounds. Right, I've heard sure. them before, like at Twin yeah. Lakes, where you have the spotted owls and in the marble, I'm sorry, in, in the spotted owls, barred owls. They're very territorial, and the barred owls are invading, and they yell at each other back and forth. It sounds like mm -hmm. a, a monkey fight going on. I've heard is, that. Which is yeah. pretty cool. Yeah, I'm going to turn this light on a little bit. Hey, all right. Oh, cool. I was just about to bring that up. That's perfect. Now I, 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 <laughs> I got to put my sunglasses back on. That's right. That's right. But that's just I, this, a little bit. Of, you talked about Mike's getting there. But that's exactly. Just like kind of the, so, um, a lot has gone on. I've seen a lot of stuff, but I, I have to just process that in my head. But yeah, so now, now where it's like we got involved with the investigations of the film site. And that was one of those things we started doing in 2010. But it wasn't my idea. It was more like uh, Stephen and Ian's idea. And I was in the videography now because at that point in, in 2008 to 2009, I was big time with the video camera running around filming everything. Okay. It, just like my dad used to do, you know, albums don't fall very far. So I was filming all these stuff. And then I, I met um, Stephen, I think 2007, for the 40th anniversary of Elk Creek, organized by yeah, the Yams. And I was there and I met Stephen. And then Stephen shared with me his what he wanted to do. And then at that point, I got suckered in in 2010 as a videographer to film their process. And then soon during the process of it, I started becoming a member of that. So been involved with the Bluff Creek project basically since Correct. 2010. Wow. I, I was going to say, so there's going to be some people um, that are listening to this that we might want to uh, lay a little bit more uh, found. So definitely Bluff Creek project. And when you say you're saying, Stephen, you're referring to, uh, Steven Stroyfort, correct? I know I'm That's, saying his last name wrong and I feel terrible about it. No, he, he's not even watching this. It'd be okay. He'll never know. It'll get, it'll, it'll get back to him somehow, but he, <laughs> sorry, Matt. I know. I, uh, do you mind pronouncing it the right way? I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, well, somebody call him Stewie. Steven oh, Stroyfort. Right. So, That's right. Steven Big Stroyfort. books guy. Yeah. So he yeah, has yeah. this, the store in, in uh, Willow Creek. It's just yep. like a mile out of town. And anybody going to Willow Creek, yeah, you should swing by. Don't swing by in the morning because he's not there. Okay. Yeah, make sure it's in later afternoons. But you swing by and he's got books all over the place. And mm. he, he gets he's pretty up on the subject matter. I was I was impressed by how much he knew on the subject. You know, that he, I learned so much from him. But anyhow, so he runs the bookstore and he's there most of the time, but mostly in the afternoons. And okay. He's like a walking encyclopedia. So he'd be a good That's guy. To get I've on heard a that. Yeah. Podcast. Yeah. Oh, oh, definitely. Yeah. Um, let's talk a little bit about more about the Bluff Creek project. So let's start by, so what is, what's the, what was the goal of, or what's the goal of the Bluff Creek project? Why was this even made to begin with? Let's start there. All right. Well, 
the goal originally was is it started about I'd say about 2010 would be the the name of Bluff Creek. Okay. But it was originally the Bluff Creek Film Site project because I had to give it a name, and mm. we're trying to find the film site, so it was the Bluff Creek Film Site project, and and it, it changed once after 2012 when we figured out where it was to the Bluff Creek project because sometimes less is better. Sure. Yeah. yeah, if you want someone to remember something, you don't make it ten words long. You make it a lot exactly. Shorter. Yeah, exactly. So, so the Bluff Creek project was born, and after the film site stuff was taken care of, we started putting in cameras about 2012, trying to record uh, wildlife act- activity up there, see what animals were running around. So, you can't call that the Bluff Creek film site project with cameras involved. So, that became the Bluff Creek camera project, but that was too involved. So. Everybody outvoted me because they want to, you know, Bluff Creek Project, B, C, P, and that's why it's called right. Okay. Okay. And so uh, that goes on over the years. And so there's uh, the multiple members in this project, correct? Besides just uh, yourself and Steven? Yes. Yes. There's, uh, I, well, there's a lot of honorary members, but the okay. basic core, there's probably about eight in the basic core, but usually nine are, are, are pretty well active in the area. Now, now you're going to test my memory and all my friends are going to hate me, but here we go. Yeah, Steve is still first. Named Robert Leiterman. Yeah, uh, this guy named Tate. He's not related to Heronius. It was Heronimus, but he's So that's him. up in the air. As, if yeah. that can't be prove, proven, I'm going to imagine his uncle is Bob Heronimus. Well, um, the, the last names are slightly spelled different. I'm always correct. Oh, okay. All right, all right. Yeah, like Leiterman is L-E-I-T-E-R. Um, evidently, it's... It's supposed to be L I E. I mean, T, T, Hieronymus, H I E versus H E I. Oh, instead interesting. of a Y. Anyhow, I'll have to explain it to you later. But anyhow, so <laughs> we got me, we have Tate, and then we got uh, Stephen. And then we have um, a guy named uh, Jamie. Jamie Wayne? Oh, yeah, well, that's his fake name, but yeah, that's him. Oh, you say really his fake name? Yeah, that's his fake name. <laughs> okay, fair enough, fair enough. That's his, that's his stripper name, Jamie Wade. Oh. There you go. And then we have a guy named um, uh, Kit Morrill. Yep, okay, famous Kit Morrill. Right? I'm still working on this. Five, and who am I missing here? We got Tate, we got, oh yeah, Rowdy Kelly. How can I forget that? That's five, six, Rowdy Kelly. Barcatino. Yes, Bart, Bart, Bart is on the team. He one of the extra ones. So I keep thinking we're missing one on that one. But yeah, it'll come later to me. But that's pretty much the main team for everybody who's involved with that. Tate, throw it in the chat if there's one that we're missing. Yeah, come um, on, Tate. And that's fine. Tate, I know you I know you know. Um, so the cool thing, I want to make sure this gets out about the Bluff Creek is project is that you actually Oh uh, Oh you got receivers. it. Ja- okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I hear he's really cool. Dustin, I, I'm sorry, Dustin, I forgot. Okay. It's going to get back to him. It's going to get back yeah. to him, Robert. Yeah, no problem. But yeah, yeah. So that that's the core people. There's eight minus Bart, that would be seven. That's everybody who's uh, pretty active on it. They just, they just typed it all out. So thank you. Thank you, sir. Um, Good. The cool thing I wanted to bring up about the Bluff Creek Project is that uh, you were able to capture something very cool on one of your um, trail cameras you had set up. Were you able, are you able to talk about that? A, a scientific discovery actually. 
Yeah, we found out there are actually ghosts on the sites, and we were able <laughs> to capture one. Ghosts, Bigfoot ghosts. Running back and forth in front of the camera. Wow. You got you to watch them really close because they look like these black mists going, phew. No, actually, actually a marble murelette. I'm sorry. Uh, Humboldt Martins. Yes. Humboldt Martins is an animal that was believed to be almost wiped out a while back. It's like back mm. in the 40s, they, they stopped trapping them in California because their numbers were so low. Wow. So they become a very rare thing. And uh, I think at one point, it's 40 left in the wild, pretty much. They like oh, the coastal wow. mountain areas. So when we set the cameras up, I think it was the first time in 2012, we set the cameras up at what's called the Rocky Plug. It's an intersection in, in the creek south of the film. The creek kind of narrows down, goes by this rocky thing. There's a little sandy shore right there. And we put one of the cameras up high shooting down. We captured it with that. But in 2007, I remember riding a bike down there with, uh, with Scotty, a friend of mine. You rode a bike down to the film site? Yeah, from Laos Camp. It's not that Oh, far. cool. Yeah. That was All back right. when I was younger. Anyhow, Fair enough. So it's only uphill one way. Yeah. That's so anyway, true. That's true. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So we rode down the site. We were kicking back having lunch. And something was working its way towards us. It looked like a big weasel. Uh-oh. You know? It was kind of ungulating when it walks. Can you see that like that? So it was moving towards us off to the right, and we just stopped talking. And we're sitting eating it. It got pretty close. And then when I realized two humans were watching it, and it went, and it took off. But I didn't know what that was, really. But evidently, that was also Humboldt Martin. Wow. So they're there, and their numbers are probably hopefully coming back. The, the Forest Service is, is now recognizing that, and they've got a much pr- protective status. In California, they're protective status. And the goal is to hope that they'll be back in good numbers because they're small. They like to eat meat to pretty vicious little guys, but it's perfect for them because they have lots of places to hide. They like older growth type forest environment, okay. lots of cover sources. Uh, when you uh, cut over an area, it kind of reduces the type of animals you're going to get in there, but the old growth habitat is pretty nice and that's what they like. That's and it, it sounds from an article that I, I read that there, there might be some, um, a lot of uh, uh, forest protected because of the rediscovery. We'll see, but that would be yeah. really cool. Yeah. Well, they're talking about that. We're not so sure what area is going to be designated because okay. you go north of that location and you have the Siskiyou wilderness area. Okay. And then you go east of that farther east and you have the uh, marble mountains. You have the Trinity Alps. You have areas wow. that are protected and set aside, but, that's a pretty wild area up there and it doesn't get a lot of visitors. And for about seven to eight months a year, the gates are shut because of the port Orford uh, virus is killing them. Uh, so at public access is denied up there for up to seven to eight months. So it's already kind of a wild place to begin with. And we, we, we have our cameras back there because they, they lock the gates. We can't access it. But anyhow, so with that up in that area there, it's a pretty wild place. It's a great place for that, you know, now we haven't caught any bigfoots on our camera. We're not hiding the cameras. We have okay. them attached. We have them locked so people can't borrow them and, and not return them. And we check them. We got all sorts of wildlife on those things, but we don't have any sasquatches. So in case somebody's asking that question on there, uh, we, we do have some things to address in in the chat. Uh, yeah. We've got hey, look who we've got in with us, uh, Mr. Stephen Struford. Did he say Ian Carton yet? 
Um, hopefully, I didn't oh, mispronounce no, no. that name. Either, no, but... I, I did not include him. I'm sorry. Well, the reason I didn't include Mr. Ian here because he hasn't gotten back to me on editing the book, and I forgot all about it. Gotcha. But yeah, he and Stephen were the original two members of it too. So it's still a Chilla member. But I was going by the core member that we talk to all the time, the seven of us that we constantly go over on our little you know Facebook thing. But yeah, Ian is still a member of the team. Uh, Stephen also says, "Howdy, Robert." Show us the darn book already. I think this is a good the a good time to chat about. It. So you, uh, uh, you have written pr- pretty much, you could say the encyclopedia, the Bible about uh, the it, it's about the Bluff Creek project and the film site, correct? Or or yeah, that, uh, lead yeah. me through what the book is about because I haven't okay, read I'll, it yet. Good, I'll read it to you right now. All right, so, yeah, um, it's it's pretty small, so we won't be here a long time. Yeah. So, um, so, so basically, um, it starts about 2010 because that was the original point where I got involved with it. So like, like, uh, um, Daniel Perez does the introduction. I'm sorry, not the introduction. He does the forward for it. And Stephen does the introduction, which he covers a lot of the stuff, kind of sets the atmosphere for it. And then chapter one is just kind of a, a, kind of me kind of going over a few, few things, but it starts in 2010 when we started initially getting the project going and the book is based on like a journal entry. So basically a lot uh-huh. of the information I have, we, we did a video journal. So Robert, how do you know that Steven said, I like to do this because it's been video recorded. So we mm. recorded a lot of the dialogue. So that's why it might sound a little weird, but that's what we said, but that's the dialogue. So, so that helps with remembering a lot of these things for the journal entry. And along the way we we're discovering a whole bunch of stuff and, we weren't totally convinced at the beginning where it was. So it's a learning experience. We ponder the evidence. Steven spent a lot of time interviewing people, getting background information. Okay. So that all gets added in. Like in the very beginning, like in chapter, I guess you can say chapter two, when I get to see Stephen for the, well, Stephen's office, his bookstore for the first time, which I wasn't sure. expecting to see this. But I, that's when I first actually sat down and we started talking shop, running the film site. And I got to see where Stephen was coming from. Because for me, the film site was just this, this strange thing that I didn't know anything about, right? It was just like, oh, there's a place people go to. Yeah, and they, and they say that's where Patty was filmed. But it was all these basic interesting things. And the film, I learned that from, the, from starting 2010. And I learned from Stephen and Ian. So a lot of it is just us going over the information and me trying to explain some of the stuff we're learning. And then we, 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 get, we end up drawing maps. We end up... Uh, debating uh, all the evidence we have like at the end of every season we would sit at a place we went to willow creek one time and we went up to the restaurant there and the second time we went to a hotel room at the big bigfoot uh, hotel we basically go over the evidence and try to figure out how we're going and decide what we're gonna do next year but the book covers, and then we have maps and charts that we drew in the process of investigation and those are in the book too. I'm sorry, I have no color maps for you in the book because it's black. Hey, that's all right. I mean, these yeah. are maps that you've drawn. You drew them yourself, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. So yeah, that's cool. We went out. We collected the information. It, it wasn't just like me. It was like Rowdy was helping with the maps. Um, Stephen was helping with the maps. When we got the big maps going, and after we got the preliminary maps, then we did measures to distances from the trees to the stumps, where my son would help us, and uh, Daniel Perez helped us a little bit, and. Stephen was helping with us with that and Roddy was helping. So, oh yeah. And Ian was helping with some of the other after the fact maps when we were doing distances. So 
all the members were participating in, in collecting data for the maps. It was just my job to compile that and misspell a few words on purpose and <laughs> compile all the information and right. then make it look pretty. And then so we have a hard copy so people can compare the data, which That's was pretty awesome. important. Yeah. It sounds like uh, if you are interested in the film site at all, it's definitely a book that you'll want to have on your bookshelf for sure. I'm definitely going to look into getting a copy of it. Uh, where, what is this going to be a thing on Amazon or uh, where are people going to be able to pick this up? It's going to be through Amazon because they're okay. the publishers basically. So oh, sure. how Amazon works is uh, they have a template. You enter your data into the template and then you, you do all your checking on it. And then they'll send you a test copy. And this is the kind of the test book. Give you an idea what the cover looks like. Yep. Nice. It won't, it won't have this gray thing across it. Right. Not to be sold. To anybody related to Bigfoot, oh, so it says right here, do not sell to Bigfoot people. So, <laughs> and and then we have pictures according to it. And inside the book itself, has like 250 pictures. Oh, by the oh, way, that's these, awesome. these are notes for the latest, there, for the latest correction I, I implemented, some of the little wild. Things. So, we're trying to make sure that it's easy to follow through and there's not a lot of uh, grammatical issues. Like, like when you write something and you stare at it for hours, you don't see mistakes. Yeah, you, you have to get people. that outside look. Exactly. Yeah. I, I totally get that. Um, Want to make sure uh, that there's a there's an interesting question, um, maybe a few up towards the top. We want to make sure that um, I get this one in. Um, Robert, what's the craziest investigation technique you've witnessed over the years? This is from uh, buddy Greg here. Well, outside of running naked with honey smeared all over you, I don't recommend that because there's too much, too much. Insects like it as well as the other animals. So that's California awesome. is wild, dude. <laughs> no, not a good idea. So one of the techniques I, I didn't, we didn't actually do it because I was a little concerned, but there's a guy who created a Sasquatch suit, black Geely suit with red eye oh, yeah. that glowed red. And it was awesome. I didn't let him do it because I was kind of in charge of his safety because it was during hunting season and I didn't want to take any chances, but I thought that was a pretty cool idea, although we didn't implement it. I was afraid that, somebody would see him and shoot him but uh that that's kind of crazy on that one um, yeah that's wild yeah i'm trying to think of anything else that, that i mean uh we do call blasting that that's pretty pretty uh interesting a, a, a child screaming a baby that's not happy and it gets worse a recording that's of a baby screaming recording of that i've yes. heard that used that's wild does that actually work well, let me tell you, uh -oh. um, we're at a place, undisclosed location. I can't tell you the name, but it's all right. Like Camp. Those are the best places. Yeah. I it love it. Like Laos, it looks just like Laos Camp, but I can't tell you where that is. A sworn to secrecy. But at Laos Camp, we were we had the, the sound just broadcasting as loud as we could. And uh, Bart and I were hidden kind of outside the camp under under some low branches. And while this was going on, something was moving through the brush near us and it crossing the road, this old old skid road section between us and another two members that had to walk past and we didn't see it but we heard it but one of the members saw it so that screaming thing as crazy as it sounded with the baby screaming brought something in so wow. that's something bizarre yeah we've got some, some we've got some knock sound after knocking but that's one of those things that after finding bigfoot where you go out and scream and knock on trees Mm -hmm. it's, it's so commonplace that you're really not getting much back from that kind of thing so yeah 
I've heard, you know, some people, they will incorporate uh, really unique things such as playing bass guitar and you, like you never know what that kind of thing will bring in. But sometimes you have to be unique. Definitely. Um, wanted to ask you, so you've been involved. You were involved with the movie Willow Creek, correct? Uh, yeah. Well, OK. Is that something? Sorry. <laughs> No, is that something you feel okay talking about, or, or how was well, that situation? Maybe just this once. No, I talk oh, about it all okay. the time. All yeah, right. that's a long story, but I'll make it short because I realize okay. forty-five minutes is not very long. Sure. So after we after we brought in Bill Munns and Daniel Perez, we showed them what the film side was, and we had a bunch of other players show up. It was, Bobo showed up. Uh, Cliff was there, and I just want to say, Bobo and Cliff, the area they they thought it was, they were right. That was the area. But moving on. So um, after all that was done, we headed back into uh, Willow Creek, and I brought my son with me, but we went to the bar. He, he didn't go to the bar because he was of age. And while we were there, um, we had this person come up to us, Amy, and she wanted to know when it would be extras in a movie. And I was with, uh, mm. with um, Ian. And we said, sure, why not? So we, uh, we signed up. So we sat there at the bar watching this guy stand on a table, play ukulele, and sing this Bigfoot song he made up two days before. Oh yeah, okay. and we thought it was pretty cool. So after he was done, we 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 congratulated him on not dying by falling off the table, and he got talking about Bigfoot stuff. And he told us that they're filming a Bigfoot movie. You're like, wow, but we didn't. I don't think we told him what we were doing. But anyhow, so day goes on, and we're sitting there, you know, just BSing. And then there was Terry Smith and uh, Todd Hale were uh, drinking at the bar, and. Okay. They called me over and they introduced me to this Amy person and she needed somebody to take him to a place to film a movie. Well, I volunteered uh, Ian and I volunteered my son to go back up again. We went to nice. Laos camp and we, we put, we took them to locations that would be appropriate for what they wanted. What sure. they wanted was, um, I need a place that's not too far from town. That looks like you're in the middle of nowhere, but you're not. And I go, okay, I got the perfect place for you. So, uh, two hours later, we took him to Laos camp. <laughs> <laughs> Which was pretty it's good. Perfect. <laughs> you know, I, I, it's it's a great place. So I, I around the campfire before they started filming, I told them about you know stories of squatching and ghost stories because you got to get in the oh, mood, cool. right? Anyhow, so I told them this is the place so you're in ground zero for squatching, and so the first scene that they filmed about ten thirty at night was the tent scene, and that was filmed oh, just yeah. out of the entrance, and that was fun because. It's like I didn't realize how much how much freedom I had to to make suggestions. Yeah. So, have you thought of this? And after a while, they're going, "Yeah, let's do it." So it was fun. So we made. I ended up having to do calls because they they were doing some weird uh, bobcat something like a. Yeah, God, I don't think that's gonna work. I mean, have you thought about this? You know. Ah. So so I got my job, another job to do calls. So we did. Oh, that. cool! That's so cool. Of, yeah, it was kind of fun. Uh, anyhow, so we did calls, we pushed on the tents, we did all bunch of stuff, and they filmed a bunch of other locations, and we were there for like just two days, and I didn't help with the last part of that, I didn't like the way it ended, but sure. we helped with a lot of other stuff, and I, I it was fun working with them, they were both all great guys. Um, the one individual, you know, that actor guy, he's actually in a, in a, in a 
Bigfoot reality thing right now. Yeah. So you had people like uh, Bryce Johnson was there. Bobcat was actually there, right? Oh, yeah. Yes. That would yes. have been wild hanging out with Bobcat, I, I'd imagine. <laughs> yeah. It, it, well, that, the, the lookalike stand and they had there looked just like him. Yeah. Oh, really? Well, actually, I, I didn't, I couldn't recognize him if I had to. He had to tell me who he was. But anyhow, yeah, Bobcat was great. He was funny. But my, my word of advice to you guys is when you feel comfortable on a campfire and you're with a comedian, yeah. Don't give them information or, or, or material to be used later. It'll come up. Li- yeah, it, yeah. I gotcha. I totally so, get it. Yeah. So wait, wait, don't tell me. He was the guy he's talking about was me. And then uh, some of his stand up, oh, he brought about man. Ranger Rob. And that was me too. But anyhow, that's not hey. all. That, none of true. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> yeah. He kind of made some stuff up, but you know, he's a comedian. He's supposed to make it up. But, but yeah, I, I enjoyed working with it. It's a fun movie to watch. Yeah, some people don't like the ending, but I don't either. But it was so fun to watch. I liked it. I just, I think that's very cool. You were involved with that movie and you're able to influence it so much. That, that's, a, that's a cool thing to put on your resume for sure. Yeah. Um, wanna want to say to those in the chat, um, I've got more, some more questions to ask. Um, to ask Robert, if you do have any more questions, now is probably a good time to put them in the chat. Uh, if they are not trolling questions, Tate, then I will bring them up. <laughs> but uh, yeah, let's. Uh, I've got a few questions for you, Robert. Um, sure. What are what are the top books uh, someone getting into Bigfoot should have on their bookshelf? What what are some of you that you recommend? Oh well, leg- I like Legend Meets Science because uh, uh, Jeff Meldrum. It's pretty thorough. It's a lot of good information on that. So that's one of the ones I, I would think you should have. Um, um, green stuff is, is fun. There's a lot of history with green stuff. So it takes back some of the old stories. I like that. And getting a hold of, um, if you can, uh, Roger Patterson's book. Oh, yeah, right. Good yeah, luck. That's like, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that, that's like something that was written uh, a year before his uh, his footage. So that's kind of interesting to look at it. Um Bergenagle, Ber- I'm messing his name up. Um, Bergenagle. Oh, um, holy crud. Hey, I'm no. blank. Um, Bindernagel. Yeah. Bindernagel. Bindernagel. Yeah. yeah. He, he, oh, those are classic books. Yep. Yeah, he's not around anymore, but he, yeah. he had a scientific approach to it. And I, I think uh, reading books that have a biological aspect to it, as well as a historical aspect to it, because they, they go hand in hand, I think those are good. And there's, I don't have a list of books in front of me, so I, I, I know we all have a personal library. Some solid books, though, that you brought up. Some that people have never brought up before on the podcast, uh, the Green Stuff one. So hats off to you. That's that's a good list. And, of course, the Bluff Creek Project. The cool thing we haven't mentioned yet is a proceeds of each sale of that book will go towards the, your camera project, correct? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm saying half of the product goes to the oh, camera wow. So yeah. if I sell five books, then they get $5 worth, whatever it's going to be. That's cool. That's yeah. cool. So, yeah, the whole idea was that when I started writing this, it was just to be given to our group as something solid to commemorate the 10 years of the research that we did. And that was the whole point of it. And then somebody said some crazy ideas. Why don't you, like, get it published and sell it for other people can have it? So that's why we're at today. Yeah, we're a little behind on the publication, getting it out. But my goal is before November is over. What's your fingers here? Across the cross, cross the fingers. Uh, we have a little bit of a back and forth uh, we need to address here. So sure. 
Tate, for some reason, really wants to know mm. who you think the best person in the Bluff Creek Project is. And SoCal Squatch says that Robert L. is the best person in the Bluff Creek oh. Project. Uh, so, yeah, and Jonathan does too. So, you know, wow. I, I don't know if you even want to touch that grenade, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll lay on that. I'll lay on the grenade for the team. Um, <laughs> we say this all the time. Each one of us has a, a particular contribution to the group. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm the storyteller. You know, I yep. tell people stories around fire when they're bored. You know, that's my job. And uh, uh, like, like um, Dustin Sears is, he's really into the historical stuff. So he's like, he's working on his book. He's got a lot of that trivial historical stuff that he spends a lot of time looking at uh rowdy kelly i mean that's the guy he'll check the cameras it, it could be snowing out he'll go walk in and check the camera he's the so. dude and nice and, he, and he's got a lot of knowledge on a lot of different things and the reason i pulled him in back in 2010 is because of his skill set for mm. that yeah yep. so and then steven again you know he's been the, the focal point of that um let's see i'll make sure i got everybody out like tate uh, he's like electronics guy, so oh like, yeah, he me, he's got with, it. With, with seconds to spare, he got me able to make this connection here, which is he good. did. He saved the day for this interview, so hats off to Tate Hieronymus for saving the day. Literally, yeah, yeah. I, I got to get all the team in here. So, uh, um, um, Kip Morrill, uh, yep. he's like the best cook ever. A lot right there with Rowdy, both great <laughs> cooks. And Kip can sing. We did the podcasting. We, I make him sing every podcast now when he's helping me out. That's so awesome. And he's got a great sense of humor for that. And uh, um, see, so yeah, I want to get anybody else with that. But but and Jamie, Jamie always makes sure we, we get things. He's the guy who does a lot of the purchases for the cameras and everything. And he's a great contributor for uh, for a whole bunch of that thing. So I think I pretty much covered everybody. If I didn't, I, I think I think we got it. We're a team. We're a team. So we're that's equal. right. And at the end of the day, uh, you guys yeah. are, are making it happen, which is awesome. Jonathan. First off, I want to do a check with you, Robert. We're about yeah. an hour in. Um, doing good so far uh, to continue talking a little bit more, or how are we feeling? Oh, I'm good. I okay, got perfect. my catheter hooked up. We're great. I mean, I oh, okay. Talking. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> That's funny. Jonathan says, uh, Jonathan from Western Bigfoot Exploration, Bigfoot of Humboldt County is the new documentary, which is a really good documentary. Uh, how did you go about the Sierra thermal investigations? How did you measure out the distances and replicate the heights of the subjects? Oh, that's well, a pretty it, intense question. Yeah, we forget all about that. That was back in uh, 2012. Well, Bart and I used to go to Washington. We go with the Washington BFR, all great guys up there. And we join them for about, about a week up there at expeditions. But Bart, in August of that year, 2012, had a thermal sighting that he had at a place in the in the uh, off of 80 and uh it's called called the kill site it's very close to where mm. where that individual allegedly killed an individual yeah i can't you know a hairy thing anyhow okay, okay. so that same location is where we did the investigation for following up for the thermal so the idea was is when bart first sent the pictures the thermal footage to me uh rowdy and i looked at it we go oh that's a bird that's oh that's nothing uh uh that's a campfire that's glowing so I wrote up a nine page why it isn't. And then Bart decided, hey, Robert, why don't you come on down and we'll investigate it. So I showed up there and that's where I met Kip. That's where I first met Kip. So he's part of the team and plus he's six foot three. So he's perfect for the gaps. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really? And so 
we reinvestigated the whole thing by trying to duplicate the flying objects, the glowing thing, getting the distance down, you know, mapping out locations, looking at what resources were there that could have been possibly be picked up and tossed. And how do you warm them? You find out that putting things under your arms, you can warm stuff up like otters like to do that, you know, sea otters. with their Okay, cat. okay. So we did all these things. We filmed it. We tried to estimate the height. We stood on logs to duplicate the drop and figuring out distances. And it was interesting. Um, and we spent five days trying to disprove as a thermal wow. encounter. That was my job. And when it was all done, I realized that it wasn't just two things. It could have been three or four individuals moving around the campsite based on, excuse me, based on camera angles. Because the gap in the trees, you're on top of the hill and you're, you're, you're looking down on top of the hill. And then it kind of gradually continues down, which forms this gap between the trees. There we go. So you can see my face. Gap between the trees. So whatever it was was passing oh, through this gap. No way. And beyond that, you could see for quite a ways. So wow. one individual actually passed through the gap way away, which meant it circled the camp. But the thing was, is Bar uh, Bart had a camera faced out on his vehicle on the far side. It never passed in front of the lens, which meant it circled the camp where uh, I guess uh, Todd was there at camp. Um. Bro was there at camp, and then there was a um, um, couple other people there. I'm not to slip my names right now. When you say Todd, uh, you said Todd. Yeah, Todd Hale was there. He's actually he's in the chat right now. He wanted oh. you to. I don't know if you saw that, but he is in the chat. He's oh. uh, he's here. So cool. cool. Hey Todd. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I came up to follow up on it to see if maybe the people at the campfire were caught accidentally and, and they. The wood pile and the fire ring wasn't even seen. So something was glowing on a stump that was bigger than me standing on an ice chest oh. in the foreground. And the background, something passed between the gap that was bigger than uh, than Kip, larger in, in diameter. And then something about nine, ten foot up dropped something that was glowing from above the trees. So all these things made me wonder what the heck. And just to add this to that, after the investigation, everybody went home, Bart and I did a dummy camp and we hid in the bushes in a blind we created <laughs> and we were we were there listening to sounds and um i've heard this before and you probably think i'm nuts now i can join i become a member of the woo woo program no but, you are nowhere near it i oh, don't worry about it i haven't told you the story <laughs> you're yet. good oh okay yeah there's yeah. some so there's some chat there's some stuff in the chat where there's it sounds like you've got some crazy stories definitely I, I but do interesting bit. stories but so Bart and I are sitting up there and, and we both hear what sounds like women talking and giggling. And there's nobody in the oh, area except us. Weird. We never saw it. He was, he was therming, never saw it in the therm, but we heard it. Oh. That was the last night. So the joke's on us. We think we're hiding and being real stealth-like and whatever it was could have seen us or figure we were there and laughing at us. But that was weird. And so that's just one of the things. But that kill site location was not far from there, hmm. which made you... It's not given credence to the kill story. It just happened that the kill story is less than a quarter mile away from the location where, where Bart had his thermal sighting. And he recorded three blocks of time. And That's wild. he couldn't and, and it, he went back to camp and couldn't see it and came back around. It was still in the same place. So why would you stay in the same place? And uh because they were noisy coming and making screams over the canyon. And when I came to investigate it, I was just, it makes me really wonder uh, what's going on with that. But there were three or more individuals 
unaccounted for walking around through the tree section around their campsite. So that makes you wonder a little bit. That's crazy. Um, uh, Todd says, Hey, can Robert come to the OP property? I don't know. You guys might have to well, talk about it. Yeah. We'll, see. well, I don't know about the over, I don't know about the overpriced property. I don't know if I can really afford that, but, 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 but seriously, uh, uh the, the winter block of time you guys talked about, um, we definitely have to talk about that. Perfect. Perfect. But yeah, I'm, I'm excited when I heard it. It's, it sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Uh, Tate has a question. He says, can Robert tell his Spanish talking Bigfoot encounter? Great, creepy encounter. Steven, uh, also says Robert had his own tent scene. So that, that sounds interesting, dude. We're going to pass on the tent scene. A All right. Bit. That's fine. Yeah. I respect it. So uh, I'll, I'll give you the Reader's Digest uh, All right, rated cool. G version. It's, oh, it's basically cool. a, I was in the tent with, with another person. And uh, I was woken up because I heard, a, well, first the location is uh, pretty close to the film site. Okay. And I was only, there was only two of us there. And there's only one road in. And the, the topography is pretty steep. And I was woken up because I heard Buenos Dias. Yeah, Buenos Dias. And it's like, what the? You know, so I can't explain what that was. Okay. If I brushed my hands a certain way and rubbed against the tent, it would sound like Buenos Dias, then it woke me up. But it's weird. But that, not too far from there in the canyon, walking out solo when I was doing research, uh, it was one place where I also heard women's talking and laughing as well. So that's so weird. I don't know if there's a bird that makes those sounds, but this is broad yeah. daylight when I heard that. And, and I don't know what it is, but it's, it's an experience that you don't know quite what it is. You can speculate, but if it happens more than once in a different area, then, then something that's similar is making that noise or whatever. But hearing the Buenos Dias at night in the tent or late at night, yeah. I don't know if something walked by and, and it just happened to sound that way, but it sounded very clear to me that that uh, something said Buenos Dias and it sounded like they were bilingual. <laughs> wow. It sounds like it's a crazy story. And just so that people who aren't familiar with the film site, like it's not like you can just drive to the film site five minutes away from the nearest Walgreens. Like you yeah. have to do a little work to get there. So it doesn't make sense that like, you would be hearing this stuff in that area. No, it doesn't. But yeah, you have a road on the other side of the canyon, basically. And at night when it's quiet, you can hear engines of cars. You can barely hear Okay, it. interesting. Yeah, if I was yeah voice, someday I got to get voice? there. But yeah, that's a well, weird story, if man. You do, I know some great guys that would take you in there. I appreciate that. Yeah. Someday, someday. I got to ask you, Robert. Yeah. What what to you is Bigfoot? What to me is Bigfoot? Yeah. What Bigfoot means to me? What what is it a uh is it an ape? Is it a uh floating paranormal ghost thingy? Like what do you huh. usually explain Bigfoot as? Well, I've never seen a Bigfoot. Okay. So all I can share is that experience that I've had that I can't figure out what could duplicate those activities. Like the samurai talk is example. Yeah. Um, uh, pushing over a tree or a tree falling within a certain amount of time, which happens to be related to another activity you did within the same certain amount of time. Um, finding foot impressions that I find a lot of bear stuff and people don't like their foot tracks because they get mad because they tell them it's a bear. 
but I've been like in Washington, kind of near the Olympic Peninsula. I remember seeing a weird looking foot impressions in softer sand uh, and, and, and that ended up stepping on a log and leaving sand and then smashing down uh, material and grass in an area where it looked like it was a lot larger than a, a bear because it didn't have a triangular heel. It had like a rounded heel. So I don't know what that was, but it was large stride. And then it, it, it kind of stepped on a log. And the weird thing was just uh, the sand on the log. I, I, I went back to the area again and I found out that a lot of stuff would, had been removed because mm. when the tide comes in. So the tide comes in at that basically polishes everything. And when it goes out, it leaves behind that sure. not quite mud, but muddish type sand. These great foot impressions. But the structure of the foot impression wasn't good enough to say it was a human footprint or a bear, but it was wider on the hill section. So something with a longer stride stepped through the sand and then stepped on top of a log and transferred the sand on the log. So that, that was kind of a weird thing. So again, you're saying what caused that or what did that then you have these weird calls you hear and you're running down the mm. list of things so um i kind of think that there's might be something that we don't quite understand that might be definitely until okay. i see something myself that i can confirm then i can say absolutely there but i don't know if you guys are into like some people are into paranormal stuff and they have things moved in a house or see shadows and i mean what's the explanation for that you know, people don't quite have an idea, Yeah. but now we have an outdoor area that, that's full of wildlife and you have strange things that happen that, you know, and you're thinking, you know, what is this a creature that I'm seeing? But I know I haven't seen one, so I can't say absolutely true, but the amount of time I spent out in the woods, there's something different that I can't put my finger on that does things that are unusual. How's that? I, I think that's a that's a fair enough way to 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 try to explain that, especially if you know you haven't seen it yourself. But um, yeah, it, it's very interesting, and who knows? Like, I have the feeling, though, hopefully in our lifetime, um, we've got people that are so close. Uh, the things that are being found in different parts of the U.S. I mean, I, I just have a feeling, but. W- kind of the next question leads into it. Um, Mm -hmm. What do you consider the top evidence for Bigfoot? Ooh, the top evidence. Like, like I I asked the same question to other people and a passage comes up real quick and people saying, well, I I saw the ripples in the, the, you know, in in the, in the body, you know, it looks like it it has to be a a living tissue. It can't be a a costume. Um, When I, when I first saw the footage, and I stared at it and I watched the movements. I can see the movements. And in my mind, I can say what well, looks like somebody or something is walking and carrying on like that. Um, I think it's pretty good. I mean, the sounds, when you have a sound and you compare it with a, something that makes that sound, then you have a comparable thing. If you have a sound that doesn't match and you start asking the questions, what goes up the octaves of that? What animal makes those noises? And I've heard some stuff in the woods, but I didn't record it to say, Hey, look, I can compare Uh this with a known animal. So sounds, I mean, if you can have a good recording and you run down a profile of all animals that would make those kind of sounds. And if you can graph them out and see, well, this is different. And then you have to rule out regional accents or regional, you know, sounds, whatever, uh, foot impressions. If you can get a good footprint that doesn't look like a bear, 
right. a bear front paw with a back over the top of it where it has, has a very distinct line across that one spot between the two pads. But bears do have a line on their paws and they do have that flex point, you know, so mm. good footprint. That's why not great with match with a great stride length. Not just one picture of one foot and then say, look, I got a Sasquatch print. You have like a uh, trackway. A, a series of right foot, yep. a series of less measuring okay. stride lengths. Uh, follow them out how far they go. Yeah, it's the only perfect mud spot for miles, and that's where they stepped. <clears throat> you got to ask that question for there. Yeah, if, you can, if you can get a hair, I mean, a good hair sample that where you can run DNA off a hair sample. I mean, oh, sure. that'd be nice. Um, I've seen bear hair stuck in branches before, and uh, it's on a bear path. So um, I, I don't have any of those evidence to share with you. I mean, my samurai talk, I didn't record it. Um, I, one time Mel had recording going on up the hill, but he doesn't have those recordings anymore. Oh, gotcha. I didn't, I didn't record the voices that I heard, you know, and, uh, right. um, I used to always carry a video camera with me and, you know, I, I had a camera with me and I was with, um, not, not to digress, but it does apply Yeah, I had sure. a video camera with me on my pack and I was ready to rock with it. And I was walking with, uh, with, uh, Steven and down the film site. And we had the spawn come off the hill. We heard it moving, and then we eventually saw it when it was when it got out of the low grass, ran between us, and went down the hill. And then a bear came afterwards. Oh wow! And we had to yell to keep it from dropping down onto the road. And you can ask me if I ever got that recorded. The answer is no. I, it I probably happened so quick, right? Oh well, there's a big time period, like about thirty to forty seconds between when the fawn went and the bear was going to make its dive. The problem was I turned the camera on. I, I set it to photo and I didn't set it to video footage. And oh, then when, when yeah. I missed the first opportunity, I, I moved it to the next thing, which ended up, you know, screwing it all up. I got one photo of, of the bear shadow, but I didn't get the video footage of the bear and I missed all the fawn. So just having a camera doesn't mean you're going to be able to capture. Oh, it. exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so, you've got human error. You've got stuff happening so quick. You can't react quick enough. It's just, yeah. it just happens for sure. Um, Tate has, uh, he said, I heard something interesting with Robert at twin lakes once. I want to say in 2018, that was with rowdy. Does that ring any bells or anything that you would want to share? Or? I th well, I want to say maybe it was 20, 2020. We were there in 2020. We were, I was playing my flute. What I do is I go out. I'm not saying I'm very good. I just like to make noise. But I go out and I play my flute. But before I okay. start doing it, I blow it really, really loud. You know, just because I like the echo. Yeah. It's also like saying, here I am. Come see me. So I blow it really loud. And then then I start playing. But I, And at the time, uh, Bobo was there and um, 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 Bart was there. And Bobo was in the back of his car. And he was moving some stuff around. And okay. then when I was at the beach and I blew it really loud, then I started hearing this noise going on you know over it by where the parking area was so i paid attention to it so i just kept playing when i was done i came up and then bobo said right after you blew really loud on your flute something threw a rock towards him and it bounced on the roadway behind him and, and it went down the hill wow. and when i i have the recording of was i ran the recorder was just trying to get the acoustics for the flute so i played it real loud and you can hear the the sound of a thud and 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 bobo going off you know <laughs> so i still have that so that's there. that's awesome but the part of the hillside it, it was like let's get the steep it was about that steep to roll down 
and and go where it did, it's it's not, it's impossible. So something had to get the rock to move okay. and then hit the road to be that loud to make that. So oh, weird. Yeah, so that's just one of the instances that took place at, at Twin, and I thought that was kind of unusual. Mm. But you know, there's there's history there as well, so it's not okay. just okay. Um, I am curious just because we have listeners. Uh, this is it's not just a Bigfoot uh, podcast. Like I talk about other cryptids as well and uh, parts of cryptozoology. So I'm curious yeah. to know, uh, being mainly a Bigfoot guy, but I'm curious to know what your thoughts on other topics are. Um, so I'll just say I'll just say something, and then if you have any thoughts about that, or if you don't, just say hey, I don't really have anything to say. That's fine too. Um, do you have any thoughts about Dogman? I don't know much about the Dogman at all. I know okay. that's back east happening there. I haven't been following that, so, so okay, nothing. It doesn't really come up in Northern California. You don't really hear about no, no not really. Okay, uh, prob. Uh, I'll just say it, Mothman. Uh yeah, I've heard of it. You know, there's stories of seeing a sighting of a Mothman and the bridge falling down or whatever. Mm -hmm. Back then. I don't follow that much. I guess most of my focus is, is just kind of on the West Coast where I spend most of my time pretty much. So gotcha. I, I, I got no opinion on that one. I haven't investigated okay. that. No sweat. That. Uh, UFOs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Interesting subject. Because a UFO is what? An unidentified flying object, right? It, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Could be anything. Uh satellites they have a pattern they move in the direction they go and then you have a, a meteor showers they kind of go on an angle you know from the sky at my ankle right here you go Psh. but when you're on the outside and spend a lot of time out in the dark looking up at the sky and some of the best you do is the moon in the sky when it's pretty dark mm. and we're out there looking around and then you, you you can't help but look up at the sky so you look at the sky and you say oh look there's a plane there's a satellite and you're like, what the hell is that? That thing's like moving in a line. It's moving faster than it should. And then it makes a 90 degree turn and goes. In oh, wow. Direction. You're like, oh, did you guys see that? Okay. Or, or, or another bright object moving. And you got, God, that kind of looks like a saucer. And mm. you have to question that. And so being outside at night, um, we've seen different color lights moving like in Northern California. You'll oh. see like a different a light something go through a phases of different lights and then pew, gone. Wow. And I, I can't tell you what that was, you know, maybe I had That's something wild. in my glasses. It, so those things are, they're unidentified flying objects, which means they're in that they're flying and they're unidentified. Exactly. But what are they? I do not know. I haven't been abducted as far as I know. I only have one belly button still. <laughs> so I, I, it's you know, you hear, you hear these stories and then some of them are believable and some are not. But, yeah, um, yeah, there's something in the sky that doesn't go in the direction you would expect it to or make sharp churns in the sky. Not a normal thing for a meteor or a commercial airline or whatever. There. How's that? That's that's good. That's good. Uh, you never know what uh, I always like bringing up those topics because I've had some weird stuff come out of people that you would not expect. But. Tate uh, has another question here. He says, what is the TSSS, a.k.a. cell site? Oh, now does Tate really want me to share this? Is this a thing where, like, he's, he slipped in something totally inappropriate and I wasn't? Did he get me? Well, um, Tate. Because I really don't want to edit this. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, I'll put it this way. Um, All right. While you're while you're in the forest, uh, there's an etiquette, and the etiquette is okay. that if you have a nature call, let's say a number two versus number oh, he one. He did get it in. Come on, Tate. So when you have a number two, uh, the recommendation is is to find a location Jeez, that's not where people are going to step on or drive over, uh, and take care of business by digging a hole in the ground. Yeah. And then create a spot, do your thing, cover it back up. Do you think, think this would be this would be common knowledge for people going in the woods that you would do that? Right? It, well, there's no such Maybe thing as not. common knowledge anymore. We're That's finding true. that it's it happens quite a bit. Like right at the we were there just last October, right? Yeah. At the at the at the, the berm before you can park to go down into the film site. Okay. Uh, within about a good 30, 40 yards, there's this big old stump that's on the trail. And the back side of it is uh, within a week, somebody took a, sh- a crap there and yep. left their paper sitting right there. Oh, so, that's terrible. No, it's not as common as you would think. Uh, people need to be reminded about the etiquette. And sometimes emergencies happen. Yeah, but that's true. Step afterwards that fixes the yeah. emergency and makes it like it was never there. But right. uh, the more people go into the woods, uh, the more people you get who aren't quite on par with proper be- etiquette. And in isolated locations where there are no facilities, uh, you don't want to leave your mark. You want to make sure it's done in a, a in a in a discreet manner and in a in a in a place where it's not going to provide. If you don't bury deep enough, the wildlife digs it up and the paper gets pulled everywhere. Yeah, so not, there's not a good thing. There's an etiquette for it, and uh, uh, I don't know why Tate brought that up, but anyhow, maybe like well, he he tries to 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 get me. He got me that you got me good yeah. that time, buddy, but not next time. Um, the cool, the other cool thing about the Bluff Creek project is, from what I've heard, you guys are going into the film site yearly and you're cleaning it up, um, yeah, so that it doesn't become overgrown. Correct. Well, let's let's, let's rephrase that. Yeah, um, we maintain the trail there every year. We're talking okay. some this, this year. Daniel Perez went over overboard, and he did a very good job. He cleared a lot of the brush that's overgrowing it because in 2010 the road was closed. And it was regraded in some sections, but the trees are growing back just like it did in the film site. So oh, there's wow. areas where you have to kind of squeeze through this new growth of vegetation. So we try to maintain that so there's so you don't have to climb through brush or get dew all over your, your water, all over your clothes and everything. And for our camera positions, we want to make sure we have good open shots. When you get to the film site, is there's a, there's tripping hazards. There's like branches and sticks. We try to get those out of the way, make them safe. And for our view shed, when we're looking down trying to duplicate 352. Right? Okay. Yep. There we go. 352. Some of the branches are in our view shed. We just try to trim them and get them out of our view shed. And that's our goal. And we're not clear cutting. We're not knocking down a bunch of trees. We're just trying to make sure the view shed's there. We're trying to make sure the place is kind of safe. The new additions we did there, though, is um, it was kind of Roddy's idea. And so we got Perez was there. Roddy was there. Uh, Dustin and I was there. And the, the thing was, is we're trying to test. The, the, the size lens you see oh, what's yeah. most appropriate yep. for the camera position. So determine the camera position, uh, Rene de Hinden measured it. So we know approximately where Roger was. And you take two points of interest or points of contact, like a stump here and a log over here, and you measure those distance. And then you know where Roger's point of view was in 352. Okay. So Roger's point of 352 is slightly off the upper sandbar because they eroded away like about six feet. Mm. So this last trip, we used recycled uh, pieces of wood, the furs that was there, okay. uh, old, old dead logs. And we constructed a platform where you can stand on that at the height of the camera. 
would be. Oh, that's dog. awesome. And then you try to duplicate the position of the 352. And if you look at the 352 shot, 352 shot, there's a stump like on, on this side and there's a stump on the other side over here. Mm-hmm. There we go. So you have these positions. So Rowdy had the brilliant idea of putting lights on them where you can know exactly where those are because it's too dark to really capture it. Okay. And too far away because of the shadows and the trees that are there. So we were able to figure out the frame and Rowdy was able to test those lenses. That is cool. The 20 and the 25 from those positions and allowing us to determine the width of the frame. And that's helpful. We had a person standing there where Patty would have been, but it was too dark. So we have to make sure lit up enough where you can see them in the footage. But that was the experiment that Rowdy was working on. And we're waiting to get the footage back so we can mm-hmm. compare it. We're 352. And it looks like uh, it looks like um, one of the lenses fits better than the other ones. So we're still working on that. But uh, you should have Rowdy on here and have him explain it all to you. So... Yes. And you would not, the list I have of like future guests, like, because all the time Tate and Jonathan are like, have this person on, have this person. And I'm like, guys, the list is like 20 people long. I almost have to like rearrange it and be like, okay, who's older? Like, I got to get this person first, you know, because they probably have less time, fingers crossed that they don't, but you know what I mean? Like there's so many people. Um, but I was able to talk to Daniel Perez about this same trip a few episodes back. So yeah. listeners, if you haven't heard that, definitely go back and listen to the second Daniel Perez episode. Uh, so he has some cool thoughts about that and he's going to be writing it up in the Bigfoot times, which uh, recommend you subscribe to that. Cause it's, I mean, there's info in that you're not going to get on anywhere else. So yeah, uh, that's my plug for that. But um, I'm curious about, uh, so you're the guy in the Bluff Creek project where you're the storyteller. So well, let's, that's, that's a label that I've been given. That's yeah. a label you've been given. So that means that you, there's something there. So let's say we're around the campfire. We're just hanging out We're you know, we, we're just hanging out and, uh, someone is like, Hey, Robert, tell us a Bigfoot story. What's, what's, is there a, is, is there a story you always fall back on or one that, you like to tell or oh well I, it depends on the mood and what's going on with that i, I think the, some of the stories i cover is is basically first got involved with the bfro i, I raised oh, that yeah. one yeah and then there's been a few encounters out in the woods and you have weird stuff happen and you're trying to explain what it is and i already mentioned a couple of those and yeah but sometimes we're on the fire when things are nice it depends on your audience too it's just people you know you're willing to share some of the other stories and there's people you don't really know. Like I totally get it. Totally yeah, get you. You're like, well, maybe I shouldn't tell these people this story because then I'll, every time they see me, they'll start laughing and I'll wonder why, you know, uh, Tate says, Hey, Robert came up with the in the field part of the bluff Creek project podcast. And I think oh. that's, thank you for bringing that up Tate, because uh, it's important to know that you guys have your own podcast uh, where you interview a lot of really cool people and uh, if if uh, listeners have enjoyed listening to Robert talk, you definitely want to check out that podcast because you will probably enjoy the interviews that happen on that for sure. Um, well, on, on the I just want to add this starting in a row. Oh yeah, yeah. But the thing about the in the field part of the Buff Creek project, uh, uh, Buff Creek pod, project pro, podcast, yeah, was 
I thought if you get somebody sitting around a fire or in the forest area or close to where they had an encounter or whatever, and you talk to them, it's that they're more relaxed about communication. Oh, for sure. And all sorts of fun stuff comes up. Like I, I did Bobo back at, at Twin. I did did Bart at Twin. I did uh, Ian at, at the film site over at, it's, well, actually about the film site, Scorpion Creek. That's another mile up. And, and, and it's fun. And, and um, Mike Morass passed away this last July, and I did him at Laos Camp. I mean, it sounds bad when I say I did him at Laos Camp, but I interviewed him at Laos Camp. And it was it was a nice interview. And <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad we did it because he's not with us anymore. And uh, it exactly. was funny. Okay, yeah. Not, it's not that it's funny. is that we were working on another a book idea or get collecting information he has. Oh, wow. Because he met Renee DeHinden at the, at the Laos camp and oh, Renee took him to the film site and he had been searching for, for years and he met these inter- individuals that rent to Bigfoot and that they, a lot of the stuff he had was given to him by those individuals in trust for him to carry on. Wow. And, and so we were going to get together and he had pictures of the eighties that we didn't have with the felt the film site look. And uh, we we're supposed to, this last fall and you know never made it so Mm. he's one of the guys that like you said interview people when you can because if you wait too long you might miss out on that information in the story oh totally totally um and it's like and you you never you think 20 30 years down the road it's like i know people are going to come up to me and they're going to be like oh wow you were talking to Robert Leiterman and Tate Hieronymus and like pretty much where the, you guys, you're actually out in the field looking for Bigfoot. Like you are the, the next, like, you know, John Green, Renee DeHinden, um, you know, fill in the blank of the old dudes back in the sixties the and seventies. Like this is the, like the next 20, 30 years down the road, those guys are going to be looking back to us and be like, I can't believe you got to talk to him. And like, yeah, it's crazy to think about that. Well, we're feel, we are feeling pretty old. It's like ten years ago. <laughs> think about it. Ten I'm years ago, when we were a bunch of nobodies that were trying to find this location that everybody in two thousand. The big confusion of two thousand three, people couldn't agree where it was, and mm. then so in, by two thousand and ten, we we pretty much narrowed it down by by eleven. We confirmed it, and that's ten years ago. And there's people right now who are like, "What? Who?" So it doesn't take long yeah. for you to be forgotten. Unless you oh, make no, up, it doesn't. You can yeah. make up a story about, I don't know, uh, zippers on the Bigfoot suit or a massacre theory here and there, you know, just to keep it going, you know, keep your name in the business. Well, but, the thing is, is like stuff keeps getting brought up that like people forget about it. And then it's like mm-hmm. you say, if you see a photo that was huge in the 90s, it's like, guys, this has already been done before. Like, oh, you know, there is a big movement of new people and especially the podcasting and a lot of the, the, the website stuff people go to. Yep. Is you can, yeah, I mean, you can you can indulge in the subject matter and the phenomena, and, and it's you know, wild. And then you get this old photograph, this photograph you think is pretty cool, and you submit it, going, "Yeah, what about this?" You go, we talked about that ten years ago. It was pretty focused. <laughs> right, yeah. That happens a lot. Like the the coalition. I'm not. I I don't really get. On, I get on it because I, Stephen signed me up, so I can see what's going on. But there's stuff that comes up over and over again. People they they're like new to the thing, and they're like, "Oh my god, look at this! What do you guys think about this?" And we're like. I don't respond because I'm not part of the team, but I see it. And the guys are saying like, well, that came up 20 years ago or 10 years ago. We pretty much debunked it then. And so people don't really know. And the new shows like um, mm-hmm. well, Finding Bigfoot for seven years was great. And they have Expedition Bigfoot's doing their yep. thing. Yeah. 
exposure to the new phenomena and a lot of young people getting in. And I guess in a way, one has to rehash the evidence over and over again. And mm. there's a scoop, there's a big a skeptical group too that's questioning everything, and there's a, there's a right to do so. And it, it's in order to be better at what you do, you need to talk to people who are skeptical of what you do. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So you can, yeah, you can figure it out, and don't just get mad because somebody comes over and says, "Oh, that's BS." It's like hear what they have to say, and then figure it out for yourself whether you think it is or not. If yeah, we have. To we have to be adult enough to realize that we can have discussions with people we don't agree with and that we can uh, pretty much at the end would we'll say, Hey, we don't agree on this, but like I can take this away from the discussion and right. hopefully you can take something away as well. And like, you know, it, it don't just hang out with people that you, you agree with a hundred percent. There's a, there's a, a, few people saying in the chat that it's it's best to have uh two vehicles up there on any trip i think they're saying hey if you're gonna try to find the film site yeah. have like multiple tires like this isn't just a, a walk in the park it's hard to get there right well they're absolutely correct because uh when we go up we we, we try to go it's two separate cars in case one has a problem you can have the other one can help the other car smart and when we leave we kind of leave some people leave ahead of time but we try to leave like the last mob tries to leave together to get out of the worst part. And I've had flat tires before I've had, I that's it. I've gotten confused a few times, but I had flat tires before we've had people that have blown out their oil pans. Wow. We have people that almost drive their cars off the cliff. We have people who, who have driven their cars off the cliffs. There's been trailers that have yeah. gone off the side. Not to mention any names. We're not going to mention any names, but. That's a wild story. You can that, listen to Bigfoot stuff, and Beyond for that, that one. That stuff happens. Yeah. It's the story of, of uh, Wool Heater almost dumping his car over the side on the way to the Oh, like really? I haven't heard that one. That's wild. Yeah. It was before, he used to drive all the way down past the existing berm, and you go down to what called the M.K. Davis area. Uh, and it's, it's an old area. campsite, the firing there. And I've, <laughs> I've driven down that road. But yeah. In 2010, they closed it. But the, if you're not paying attention, you get too close to the edge and you drop a tire or two off. That's crazy. It's about a good 300 plus yeah. feet out to the bottom from that point. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and you get a little there. Um, it is embarrassing. <laughs> run out of gas, take you still listening. If you run out of gas, then um, how do you how do you get extra gas? you got to plan ahead for all You're done. Things. You're yeah. done. Or you're driving uh, too fast and you run over a rock. You don't want to drive start, fast there. Yeah. You get a flat tire. Uh, friend Shane Corson from the Olympic Project says, I have a ton of respect for Robert. What a good guy and knowledgeable researcher. Thank you for stopping by, Shane. Uh, you're a good dude as well. Um, and then our friend Mothman46 says, In search of Tate Hieronymus. It's a, that's uh, a funny small town monsters joke there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then... Uh, we're kind of we're starting to to wrap up, but there's okay. some good comments coming in. Tate says I ended up spending eight hundred dollars in tires on, uh, I guess in one year. But hey, that's those are expensive. Yeah. My goodness. Um, let's let's end with this question. So I have sure. a lot of listeners where they are, they're newer to the field. Maybe they're newer to cryptozoology, and I get a lot of like I want to be the person who discovers 
the new thing. And I like to to ask people like, what are your, what are your, um, when, how do you recommend someone go about researching, uh, things like Bigfoot? Like, um, is there any uh, advice you can give regarding that? How to research? Yeah. I mean, you can go on the internet and you get, find thing, whether it's pro or against or true or not, there's thing called the library you used to go to. I know it was, that's weird. Yeah. You go in there, they give you a little card, you check out a book, you bring it home, you bring it back. Okay. But, but, but the idea, if you spent time researching the area and the history of the area before you go there, you'll have a general idea of what to expect. Mm. Then if you're going to go to the area, you need to know what the weather's going to be like. You need to know what equipment you should have, whether or not you're going to have to pay for your campsite, whether or not you're allowed to have a fire. If you're thinking of having a fire in an area, some areas don't allow it. And if you're doing your research, well, then I always recommend you have a buddy because they can pull you out or take care of your injuries if you have a problem. Mm. And if you're going to do any knocks, I mean, I guess be discreet about that. If you're going to do any call blasting, remember, we share this world with other people. Yeah. You can do a knock and get a return knock, and it's somebody else that's returning a knock. Someone's just messing with you, yeah. Yeah, we used to do knocks to get gunfire returned. You know, that's just Oh, boy, problem. that's not cool. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah, and, and don't go to areas and, and do crazy things where you're uh, where, where, where help is too far away to do it. And if there's a crime wave or people are growing gardens in certain areas and people get protective of that and you're going through the area, you know, calling and doing different things, that's yeah, that's that's going to be an issue. Bring enough to eat and enough to drink and don't drink out of the streams because you're thirsty. Maybe you should treat the water first. Bring extra food because if you have a problem and you get isolated and you have to get back out, like here's an example. You go over to Bluff Creek and then they have an earthquake or it rains and there's a bunch oh, of rocks. Oh, geez, yeah. Now what do you do? Well, You're done. You, you take out your little trusty little hatchet. You're, you chop at the wood for days to get out. So having equipment like a chainsaw or loppers or something, you can use tools to, to clear a road if you have to or a shovel or, or maybe even, I don't know, um, gas up at the nearest town before you drive into the wilderness area or the park area you're going to. So you'll have ga extra gas in your car. Some people carry gallons of gas in the travel. Mm. That's helpful. And um, if you're going to record, you can go and have the greatest experience in the world. But if you don't have a, a, a recorder, uh, whether it's a digital camera or a recorder or, or whatever, to, re to record this experience, experience. So if you're expecting to prove anything, you got to have proof. And what is proof? Proof is documentation. I love that. Yeah. Like I, I, at this day, at this time, in this direction, I did a call blast for this long. And, and then approximately three and a half later, I had a return call from this direction. And, you know, those are always important. I mean, if you're going to be a researcher, you end up bringing these little notes and you write them down and you document it. If you want an experience, just show up and just do whatever you do. And then you have an experience that you can brag about around the campfires. But until you document it, it's just an experience. That is and huge. Even if you document yeah, it, that's huge. You're going to prove it. Yep. Like, like, when, like I did the follow-up and the investigations for like for Bart's thermal sighting. Mm -hmm. You know, he, he, I, I had to document and disprove it. I just didn't show up and go, yeah, you know, the wind was blowing <laughs> the wrong way. It didn't work. <laughs> So you have to be able to disprove it. I mean, it's a little bit of homework and research. And I highly recommend that if you're thinking about investigating a animal, mm -hmm. shouldn't you do some research on the, the uh, what an animal eats, what it drinks, Makes what sense. it does? 
yeah what his regions are you know uh, that's just some basic stuff so i guess what i'm saying is do all your homework ahead of time and be prepared and then when you go out there you have a plan and you keep notes every time you go out you're going to find what works best for you you're also going to get really creative while you're sitting around that campfire thinking about you're going to hike millions of miles into the wilderness and go find sasquatch sometimes if you just sit by the fire and get your fire going and maybe uh play some music or something and something comes and checks you out yep i mean exactly that's an experience and maybe they're coming in like bart's thermal sighting both of those thermals that he documented well the first one he saw didn't document it but the second one he did document the, the, the very similar things were they were at a designated camping area with other people being campers and mm. they had visitation of something seeing them. And that's safe. When you go out looking for things, they go out hide from you. When you act like you're not looking, surprisingly, something's come in that's and crazy. you can still sit in your campsite and throw them out. You can put cameras facing into your camp. You can do whatever you want to do and just pretend a normal camper and things will come and see what you're doing. And that's probably the easiest way to do it. And say you have a disability, you got your hips acting up for some reason. Sure. And you blew your knee out 30 years ago and you have trouble walking. Um, you could stay at camp and still have an experience and still, you know, instigate some activity and be and be prepared to, to record it and also won't get lost and you're also in a, in a nice comfortable position. So that's my 101 for that subject. But hopefully that's, that's really good. That's some solid advice. I think that's probably some of the best advice we've gotten on the show. Robert, thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight on your Friday night. Um, before, before you go, uh, let's say people have been a fan of listening to you. Do you mind uh, doing a quick uh, overview of like how people can keep up to date with uh what you doing and if uh feel free to to plug anything that you might want to plug at this sure i say the best way to you know, keep a hold of uh me or any of the members of the bluff creek project is to get a hold of the bluff creek project i mean it's, if you just went in and said bluff creek project podcast it pulls up the podcast so you say bluff creek project and on facebook it pulls up some of our latest videos that we have exactly. from the cameras we've been doing some of the projects we used to do a lot more uh updating and going out and videotaping things and saying silly things we do less of that now but you can still access a lot of the library past stuff and a lot of the information on it so podcast bluff creek podcast is the easiest way to get in and on that you get just contact information the guy who mostly you're going to talk to is is jamie he pretty much and rowdy okay. are the two people who pretty much deal with that mostly awesome and we'll definitely be uh be looking out for when the bluff creek project book will be releasing soon and uh, i'll have that in the show notes uh once that amazon is uh posting is is put up so that you can get a copy of that but thanks so much everyone in the chat for hanging out with us live and uh for all the uh people listening on the podcast but thanks again robert for hanging out with us sure. it's been fun i'm not used to actually staring at myself in the video screen and <laughs> Make sure I lift my beard or whatever. You did yeah. good. You did but good. It's, it's fun. It's fun. It's fun being on these and getting to meet and answer questions and and share information on it. So I think it's a it's a phenomena and it's followed by a group of people. Totally. And you could take these guys who are into Bigfoot, put them on a campfire. We have a lot more in common than what we think. I totally agree. Totally agree. All right. Well, thanks all for for hanging out and have a good one, guys. 
right. Cool. Thanks for taking your time out of your busy day and spending some time with us. Uh, go ahead and uh, subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. Leave a review on iTunes, uh, Stitcher, and uh, your preferred podcast platform. And um, if you have any stories, you can give us an email at bigfootsociety at gmail.com. And again, check out the articles we have and more preferred book lists at bigfootsocietypodcast.com. You can always go to Instagram at Bigfoot Society. And we have a TikTok now. It gets pretty crazy there. Bigfoot, Bigfoot.society at Bigfoot.society. Thanks again for taking your time listening to the Bigfoot Society podcast. We'll see you next week. Uh, next Saturday will be a new episode. And also, if you want to take part in the live taping of the episode and put your questions in there for the guest, just remember, subscribe to the Bigfoot Society YouTube channel and hit the bell so you don't miss out on any of those episodes. Thanks again, all, and we'll see you next time. The views and opinions expressed are those of the guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Bigfoot Society. Any content provided by our guests are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, individual, or anyone. Thank you.